Hello, gentle listener. It's Ethan. And Michael! With a special message here at the top of the episode. We just have launched a thing that I am sort of very nervous about, but uh, as Michael and others have told me, like, what's the worst that can happen? It's what already happened. We have launched a Patreon page. Uh, Woohoo! So if you are enough of a fan of this show to uh, donate money to us every month, which, like I said, I uh, just sort of have this sort of, like, Midwestern, Scandinavian descent niceness, like, fear of even saying these <laughs> yeah, words. Yeah, be ashamed of your heritage, Ethan. Well, stop! My hair- well, it's also that, because Viking humans, but, like, it's just, yeah. it's just <laughs> my genetics. Uh, anyway. anyway. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we, we have launched a Patreon page, and please donate? Give us money, please? Yeah! Please, sir, may I have some money? Patreon.com slash Room with Scotch. Thank you. Eventually we'll uh, figure out a pitch that that sounds like we know what we're doing at all. But um, (laughs) just to uh, start promoting that illusion, one of the several tiers of rewards that we've come up with for patrons... Our beloved patrons. ...is the Secret Archives. Yes. The Secret Archives, uh, at $1 or more per, per month, the bare minimum sort of pledge to our show... You get access to the Secret Archives, mm-hmm. which contain tons of bonus audio from Michael and Ethan and others. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to work on rapidly expanding the Secret Archives so that, you know, if you if you donate from month to month, uh, there should be more as the month go, months go on. But mm-hmm. currently, there's at least a couple things from from me. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, some things from Michael. Yes wibbly wobbly timey whiny things yep um <laughs> and bonus content from other tapestry radio shows exactly you get access to even so it's so yeah it's exciting we're excited i'm also very scared but if you like the show uh this is just we'll take the your way money. you can express your appreciation yeah yes i did exactly. just say express and i haven't express. even had the scotch yet and we no. haven't thanked classes yet so i didn't lose so there i go fine uh, it's okay in the patreon game we're all winners yeah <laughs> right. i like that <laughs> even though it's probably false anyway michael and ethan in a room with scotch give us money patreon.com slash michael and ethan in a room with scotch no that's not right patreon.com slash room with scotch <laughs> homestarrunner.net <laughs> perfect
Yeah, hi. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I'm your host, the barber. Because <laughs> I'm going to let you be the priest. Oh, okay. <laughs> priest or the curate? Yeah. Uh, my name is Ethan, and this is Michael. Hi. And we're reading Don Quixote. Yep. yep. Uh, if we sound a little bit sluggish, it's because we did just have two weeks or however long it's even been. I don't even know what's uh, happening now. During which we were Haven't eating. Haven't seen my wife in a long time. <laughs> yeah, you're not even sure what she looks like. I don't even know. Uh, is she tall? Is she short? She is definitely at least one of those. <laughs> yeah, one of those. Yep. <laughs> uh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi. I, uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Okay, so, we're, wow. Stop it. You stop it. I just, I don't care anymore. <laughs> we still have an episode to go after this. I know, but I'm just going to say <laughs> words, and the introduction will take care of itself, like it always does. It does. Uh, the introduction always will happen. So. Whether we want it to or not. Or it always will have happened, anyway. It will have happened. Um, so, we're here reading Don Quixote. You said that already. And drinking the what? Balvini, 14-year-old... Caribbean cask matured single malt scotch whiskey. Yummy. It is, well, we're not allowed to say it yet, are we? All I said was yummy. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. Karen, come here and read the rules. <laughs> Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, Drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. Oh, thank you. Thank this you, is, Karen. This is the most lethargic I think we've ever been. <laughs> the opening of an episode. I didn't think that meal was all that heavy. No, it's not terribly heavy. But like here we are, I guess. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. It was the peanuts. Was yeah. Peanuts and the tomato soup. It was definitely that. Yep. I don't know. Have some more. Oh, all right. Thank you. Uh huh. I'll take it. <laughs> I know you will. You'll take it and you'll like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as I think Karen just said, did she? When we clink the glasses, she might have. The rules go into effect, and Michael can't say the vampires, and I can't say the thing. And all the all are. the rules happen. All the rules are are due. Yep. Mm-hmm. Crap. I can't remember what my salute is gonna be. Well. Anyway. I'm gonna say Frost. Uh, Flan. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Um, I was trying to remember what you said last time. Is <laughs> it Schlank? Schlank. <laughs> I knew it was better than Slam, but. <laughs> Perpetuate this image that we've been repeatedly putting in people's heads on purpose. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Meanwhile, our wives are off motocross racing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you kidding? They're doing full-on GTA. <laughs> They're like running around stealing cars and <laughs> murdering people. Absolutely. I didn't realize that Picking was a sport. And then murdering them too, I guess. Probably after they know. had their way with them. That's what. That's what. Uh, yeah. Good job. <laughs> good job dragging us into the explicit label for this one too. <laughs> God, I have to edit our Patreon page. <laughs> I live to make your job more difficult. I know you do it well too. Thank you. You're you. not welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. I don't know. What do you think about this book? <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Extremely insightful. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, on a scale from one to ten. Seven. I don't even know. <laughs> how self-referential, with one being not at all self-referential, and ten being the movie being Do John Malkovich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how self-referential would you say... Volume one of this history was. Volume one? Yeah. Um, I'd say probably a four or five. Okay. Now, keep in mind, gentle listener, what I'm referring to, and I have explained this before and you have read it, so what I'm about to say is extremely yep. redundant. Should we give them a chance to read volume two in case for the yeah. last two episodes they only read volume one? That's true. Hey, go... Read a bunch of dorks. Go read volume two. It's in the same volume you got, I promise. Yeah, probably. Okay, did you do it? Yeah. Wasn't it real long? Didn't Michael make all of us read a real long book? <laughs> Shouldn't we all be mad at him? It was all my idea. Yeah, I didn't agree or help suggest it at all. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Yep. How self-referential then on the same scale would you put volume two? Seven. Okay. See? I told you. I was thinking the number seven before you even said seven, so... See, I was just reading your mind. I know, I know. <laughs> I wish you'd knock that off. I can't help it. Yeah? My mind is just so open and exposed. Wow. Wow, that's... Throbbing. That's a couple... Wow! <laughs> You're really Inviting. just... Uh, just kind of doubling down there, huh? <laughs> just, uh... No chilling you at all. Nope. What are we doing? <laughs> oh, I think this is like the most mellow and 
<laughs> it's actually not a bad place to be in. <laughs> it's all right. Just kind of relaxed right. and like yeah. full, but not like too full. It's like, it's like soup full. What are we even doing like, here? Like, what is this? What it feels like to be high? It depends, I think, on the drug of choice. But like on pot. On pot, maybe. Oh, okay. That's a that's a very good uh, diplomatic response that You're you welcome. gave me. I mean, don't I don't. Mm-hmm. It's not. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, it would probably be appropriate for the reading material to just take a siesta, really. Yeah, absolutely. So um, no, why don't we do that? All right, I'll well, be over here. It's gonna be a you real boring talking. podcast <laughs> if we do that. Uh, what is this book even? <laughs> Twelve hundred pages. Yeah, real freaking long. Yeah, real so, freaking long. Okay, so one thing we should probably address, and uh, stamp you know, and mail. What? And stamp and mail. Yeah. Address stamp um, and mail. So, we touched on this at the end of the last episode in our extremely scintillating teaser. Yep. But so, volume one, of course, came out in 1605. Mm-hmm. Volume two came out in 1615. Yep. What happened in 1614? Uh, a poser. A poser. A poser. A came... real bad poser. Yep. Came out with Spurious Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Fake Pretend Bad Volume 2. Mr. Avellaneda. Yeah. De, de Terragon? Yep. De Avellaneda. Or I think something it was about Aragon. Terragon. Or Aragon. <laughs> Aragon something Avellaneda. Yeah. Okay. Now that we've completely established our credibility as scholars and researchers um yes yeah, <laughs> which so, no one was in doubt of beforehand yep we we'd always done a bang up job up till this point um, nope. so Veoneta, uh who seems to be a made-up person of some kind my research indicates that either he's just a pen name he might be a committee mm-hmm. of people he might also be Lopa de Vega, who was Cervantes' major rival mm. at the time. Um, See, and I, I, I've heard that he was at least a fan of Lope de Vega. Yeah, no, apparently by, by 1614 or 1615, then... Uh, Alonso Fernandez de Avellaneda. Very good. Um, by, by like 1614, 1615, they were kind of rivals. Maybe friendly rivals, I don't know. Who but... Or there's rumors that it was like a group of friends of Lope de Vega, kind of trying to take the piss out mm. of Cervantes kind of thing. Uh, something sure. like that. So um, these are these are several candidates, but their Nabokov mm-hmm. uh, suggests Good one additional Nabokov. candidate mm-hmm. that I really, I don't know, I'm and I'm not enough of a scholar and a researcher to like have a real solid informed opinion, so I don't know how likely this is, but... Nabokov's right. suggestion is Cervantes himself. That Cervantes wrote a real bad sequel to Don Quixote, published it under a pen name, and acted as if he like had never heard of it and did not endorse it, and did it specifically to like give himself something in the real volume two yep. to like respond to and base comedy off of. Right. Because what he needed was something like, to make his volume two even more meta right which like it, it okay so I, i'm i'm gonna go on a, a a 
like a, a tirade. I don't know if a tirade is right. Right term here. So based on I'm not sure it is, no matter what you're doing with knows? your mouth, but who knows what's happening it. with my mouth? Well, uh, well, um, just you know, I'm in, in a pretty enjoy my mouth mood and what it's doing. <laughs> I um, always enjoy your mouth, no matter what it's doing. Yeah. Um. So okay. So we we noted at the end that um, Cervantes seems to be teasing a volume two or hoping that a volume two would happen. Yeah. Whether he wrote it or someone else wrote it. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. like in that regard, Nabokov might be onto something, right? And then like you get to Volume Two, and what Cervantes does with Volume Two, in almost purely just responding to the spurious Volume Two, yeah, it's Nabokov again might be onto something there. Yeah. However, I think Volume Two does kind of stand on its own to too much of an extent for it to be only a reaction i i don't think it necessarily has to only be a reaction sure it just like the fake volume two would theoretically have just been a thing um cervantes did to sort of spice up and give variety to volume two it's just like one out of maybe five things that he was doing using in volume two sure would be theoretically the idea because i do think there are several points that you can almost identify where cervantes gets bored with his own book Mm. and i think he maybe i think that was already true in volume one and maybe he was like anticipating it in volume two so he was like coming up with things to shake things up Mm -hmm. this is this is all pure conjecture absolutely but no it's interesting it's the sort of thing where like i wish i'd thought of it right right like because it's a great like it's one of those things it's a great theory no matter how likely it is mm-hmm, exactly and like i wish i could do that where i write a book that has some popularity and then under a pen name i write the sequel to that book and publish it and then write a sequel under my own name making fun of making your own fun sequel. of my own sequel it, it just feels like it would be a wonderful thing to do except it would be a lot of work so much I think work like the and that's maybe my the... biggest hang up to yes. that theory is it's so much work yeah. not just writing twice as much but figuring out exactly how to write something that you can respond to and make fun of right and then make and then do that <laughs> right just... right it's just you gave yourself an extra volume to uh to write yeah um which like you know you could respond to that by saying well that's why it's so bad right you just wrote it so fast and didn't put any effort into it but right it's still like you still have to physically take the time to like sit down and do that mm-hmm. and, like, you have to actually do it yeah um it's, it reminds me of like when people say that shakespeare specifically was like francis bacon or one or two of these other yeah, like sure. writers at the time and it's always like Francis Bacon wrote a bunch of his own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote so much of his own. How would he have had time to to, to do uh... Shakespeare's stuff as well? Yeah. yeah. Like there are other people who are not actually writers at the time who get proposed, and that at least they don't have that like right uh, objection. But still, a stupid theory created by an insane person in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they're crazy. Become the Shakespeare podcast, even though it always, always, always does. There's another slogan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, anyway. But, yeah, no, okay, so the, the Spurious Volume 2 does take up a lot of space in this Volume 2, uh, including the character of the Spurious Don Quixote right. being a character in this Volume 2. Right. Uh, I was going to say, too, that you couldn't do this trick today, no. whether it's Cervantes doing it or, or someone else, because copyright laws. But, yes. of course, in the 17th century in Spain, those didn't exist. Exactly. So you, you could do it. You definitely could. Yeah. But also, Quixote, not Quixote, Cervantes' response to it is perfect. Like, okay, you plagiarized my character. I'm going to kill him right. so that no one else can do that. Right. <laughs> uh, that's similar to uh, I Am a Cat. Yes, a little bit. Where he Spoilers. drowns the cat at the end so that he can't be forced to write any more volumes of I Am a Cat. Yep, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I guess. I don't know. They sure. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like if you're going to read that book you're, and enjoy it and get to the end, not because you were wanting to be surprised by the plot. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not like I said, you know, I don't know. Spoilers. Katniss kills President Coyne in The Hunger Games or Whoa. Something. Yeah, sorry about Whoa, that. Whoa, yeah. more spoilers. Or like, spoilers. that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time in, Whoa. in Unbreakable. Yep. Um, that's how that went. Yep, that's exactly how that went. Yep. Yep. Or, spoilers. Darth Vader is Jar Jar Binks' his father. <laughs> spoilers. Wait, I thought Jar Jar Binks, the, the secret Dark Lord of the Sith, was Darth Vader's father. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Both. Uh, I just, <laughs> I just had a series of mental images of the whole Jar Jar Shmi Skywalker seduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look up. <laughs> I assume this is what you were doing, but you just were like a dog who has eaten something <laughs> terrible, trying to just get rid of the whole thing. From get it out! I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so volume two, volume two. Oh look, here I am at the prologue to the reader, which is how far we've gotten. Like <laughs> we teased the end. The, yeah, I mean, yeah, we did. That's true. Uh, I uh, I actually encountered a note uh, that I had written when I read, like when I read through Don Quixote the first time. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not a Shakespeare podcast, but. One of the first notes I wrote about Don Quixote was that it was like if you wrote an entire novel starring Spanish Polonius. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that that's necessarily how I felt by the end of the first time reading it, let alone, you know, when I read it the second time. But I also did just encounter a margin note of my own that says... Uh, uh, Cervantes seems to enjoy these super long wind-ups. <laughs> um, and it's by a passage that says, My advice, Mr. Shaver, said Don Quixote, will not be inapposite, but the very opposite. That isn't what I mean, replied the barber, but rather that experience has shown nearly all the memoranda sent to his majesty by armchair politicians to be impractical or nonsensical or harmful to the king or the kingdom. Well, my advice, replied Don Quixote, is neither impractical nor nonsensical, but the simplest, the most just and the most ingenious and expeditious advice that any such politician could ever conceive. Mm -hmm. You're taking a long time to tell us what it is, Don Quixote, <laughs> said the priest. It's, 
and the documentary. I should not like to reveal it here and now for it to reach the minister's ears tomorrow morning and for someone else to receive the thanks and the reward for my labors. Mm-hmm. Like, Don Quixote has now already spent at least half a page, if not more, mm-hmm. talking about what he's going to talk about. And ultimately wanting the credit for it, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, which is very similar to the spurious Don Quixote, but then Cervantes getting credit for the real Don Quixote. <laughs> like waiting 10 years to publish it right but only after a year prior did the fake one come out right yeah blech <laughs> blech is what i say yeah that's that's um, a very good uh i i get a lot of um i think that one deserves a ding sure just blech blech ding um so uh um yeah okay so i i I find it quite humorous in the in the preface of the second volume. Yeah. Uh, Heavens, with what eagerness must thou be waiting for this prologue, courteous reader, whosoever thou art, gentle or simple, in hope of finding it replete with resentment, reproaches, and revenge against the author of the second Don Quixote, him, I mean, who tis reported was engendered at Tordesillas and brought forth in Tarragona, but... I have no intention to give thee that satisfaction, for although injuries may awaken indignation in vulgar breasts, mine, I hope, will always be an exception to that rule. So Cervantes saying, ah, I'm not mad about it. It's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, and then you yeah. go through the actual narrative of volume two, and maybe Cervantes himself isn't acting angry at it, but all the characters yeah, are yeah. super mad about the fake <laughs> volume two right. of Don Quixote. Right. And just making fun of it up and down. The, it also it brings up a question that I actually did did think of at several points during this reading. So, um, the frame story, right, is that this this uh, I forget his name, but he's Bayonetta. Like, no, oh. um, just of the whole the whole uh, both volumes. It's the frame story that this is like, um. There's there's like a a, a Arabic yes um, like frame uh, right and yep. Cervantes has supposedly discovered mm-hmm. the the like writings of this Arabic um, chronicler and Cervantes is sort of reporting them and mostly well, there's, sort of there's uh, the the chronicler then there's the translator then there's Cervantes yes <laughs> so and like. I don't think he ever gives a date for the original Chronicler, right? But at the same time, there are multiple dates, like Sancho dates a letter in here that's like dated to when Cervantes must have more or less been writing yep. the part this part of volume two. And there's other things that are like, more or less this is happening in like real time mm-hmm. as Cervantes is writing it. Right. So like Well and as we've established in volume one, Cervantes has published works in volume one already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like it's contemporary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so but like when did this this Arabic chronicler write <clears throat> this thing and am I yep. am I just thinking about this too much? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, I think it, it, well, it's absolutely just a device that he's using to be funny, I think. Yeah. To, to, again, to give it that flavor of, of the chivalric romance. Yeah. Though it's like, it's so old, but actually it's right now. Again, however, 
um, going back to what we touched on at the end of the last episode yeah. about um, this being a book written under an oppressive government, essentially. Uh, it also builds in a layer for Cervantes of deniability. Um, sure. Bright, even, I'm noticing, just at the uh, opening mm-hmm. of the novel. Good job. Thank you. Uh, literally, the opening line, In a village in La Mancha, the name of which I cannot quite recall. <laughs> so the narrator is unreliable, immediately. What? Um, so then, partway down in that paragraph, his surname is said to have been Quijada or Quesada. Um, concerning this detail, there's some discrepancy among the authors who have written on the subject. So, like, just, again, unreliable. Um, and then the end of that paragraph, at least as mine is paragraph, the very final sentence. Uh, but this doesn't matter much as far as our story is concerned, provided that the narrator doesn't stray one inch from the truth. Mm-hmm. So he's already self-contradictory so much there. And then when you add the those layers of... There's an Arabic narrator and a translator and so forth. Um, I can't help but but picture Cervantes like getting grilled by the yes. by the censor's office, who is definitely going to report to the Inquisition, yep. and being able to just be like, oh well, no, that's see the the character of the Arabic translator, like a, yep. an Arab would say this this thing that you right. me saying. Um, yep, you know, yeah. just building in sort of. Can, rhetorically confusing escape routes for himself. Yeah. Uh, can I read uh, Smollett's translation of that first paragraph? Yeah. Um, he says, In a certain corner of La Mancha, the name of which I do not choose to remember, Oh. there lately lived one of those country gentlemen who adorned their halls, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so yeah, I do not choose to remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> there it sounds a little more deliberate. Again, I yeah. don't know the Spanish, the original uh, uh, writing of this, but um, that I do not choose to remember makes it a lot more sinister yeah. of an unreliable narrator rather than right. just like, I can't remember. And it, <laughs> it makes me wonder, because, you know, Smollett was a published uh, uh, novelist himself. Right. Um, like, I've read one of his books, uh, Roderick Random, which, it was fine. Like, if you were in the mood for a super 18th century, 18th century novel, it would be good. <laughs> um, it's, you know... Hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's super non-essential. I will say that. But anyway, but you know, so Smollett himself like understood some of like the layering and the, mm-hmm. the stuff that goes on there. Um, and he uh, maybe I'm wondering if he like was picking up on some of that and just sort of and, and even some of the stuff with like Dulcinea and the creating yeah. of fictions within this fiction and that perhaps he was. Um, uh, choosing to emphasize that in his own translation sure if it's a matter of accuracy i'm gonna guess that rutherford is probably more accurate um, sure because i have read things that say you know the um spanish language spanish to english dictionaries and other uh things like that in the 18th century were not the best right and that smollett is considered sort of a looser translation Mm -hmm. um but it is it is that is a fascinating uh just slight difference, difference but it makes it makes a difference it does yeah, yeah yeah i am uh in addition to uh stuff about the fake don quixote right at the top of volume two yep. i think there is also some like response to critics and fans 
Um, so towards the end of chapter three of volume two, mm. um, you have uh, Carrasco, the, the undergraduate, saying, um, you know, talk, telling, basically telling Don Quixote that he's in a book. Um, and mm-hmm. Don Quixote says, the, the book that has been written about me will not have pleased many people. And Carrasco says, uh, quite the contrary, since stultorum infinitus as numerous, um, <laughs> then innumerable are those who have relished this history. And even I uh, uh, remember my college Latin well enough to know that he's basically said, because there are infinite idiots, mm-hmm. um, or the the infinitely stupid are are numerous, right? Um, or infinite is the number of the stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that you know, therefore, you know, this there are this many people who have who have enjoyed this book, like literally calling his readers idiots. Yep. Um, though at the same time, like it's that great Cervantes, like sort of having it both ways, because he went ahead and put that in Latin. So it allows you, like, if you did understand it, it allows you to feel a little bit smarter because, you yep. know, you you got this out you of... You figured it out. Yeah, out of, <laughs> out of the Latin. Um, but, like, again, the same time, like, he's calling his, his readers idiots. Yup. Uh, Which includes the people who figured out what the Latin says. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it reminds me a little bit of... Um, Mark Twain's great one-liner where he said, uh, great novels are like wine, my books are like water, but everybody drinks water. Like, it's it's a little bit of this, like, populist sort of separation sure. of himself from, from like, the fine arts. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's a little bit humble. Twain's is, like, more obviously humble, I feel mm-hmm. like, than Cervantes, you know, uh just going ahead and calling his readers idiots but <laughs> you could you could read it as similar to twain's other great line uh the human race is a parade of idiots and i'm holding a banner at the head of the procession mm-hmm. like if a bunch of idiots enjoyed your book what does that say about you as an author yeah no absolutely um he 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 does I, he did that throughout volume one anyway yeah yeah just making true. fun of everyone who reads this book and anything like it which yeah. this is like taking anything like it to the next level as we right. already discussed right but like now he's doing that more explicitly in volume two i feel like volume two takes what he did in volume one and turns it up to 11 <laughs> yeah and I, you get like, you know, we I uh, tried to sort of contextualize volume one last episode or the episode before in term in very Hollywood terms between like we talked about sitcoms the first episode yep. and second episode we talked about like you know this is like if you had a had a movie about someone who thought they were an action hero but sure. actually wasn't or thought they were a superhero but just ended up running around mm-hmm. with their underwear on their head right um, probably putting cats into trees rather than <laughs> the other way around um it, it uh this this volume two to me in hollywood terms really has sequelitis yeah like 
this is really Cervantes locking on to what you, you get the impression almost that he maybe didn't want to write a sequel um, or you know maybe at least this isn't the the project he would rather be focusing on this is more the project that he knew would sell yeah um and you know so he you really get the sense of him locking on to everything that uh people liked in the original one and just trying to give them more of that mm-hmm. which maybe is also like calling his readers idiots like maybe right. maybe he he figured that he did well, that throughout volume one and it worked so he might as well sure, give them more of that sure. well and he does he goes so much more meta in volume two yeah also yeah especially with the the Dougal theme yeah uh that like j- just the idea that by the time volume two is written, volume one exists. Right. And people have read about Don Quixote and people know who Don Quixote is in the world of Don Quixote. Right. It's absurd. And not only do people know who Don Quixote is, but they know who the fake Don Quixote is. (laughs) Right. That like, by the time volume two is written, it's within a year Right. Of, 15, uh, of 1614 right. when the Spurious Volume 2 was written. Right. And it just goes so meta. It's yeah. It's just like we're referring to that as well as Volume 1 and seeing what Don Quixote, not only how not, how, not only how Don Quixote reacts to that, but how other people react right. to that right. within this book. It's interesting. There's a... I, I, Reading through it this time, I feel like Cervantes has about five comedic bits. There are just okay. like five things that he just does over and over to make people laugh. Sure. Um, and one of them actually is the thing that I was quoting a little bit ago. Um, is he has these just like extended sections where uh, people people are almost like baiting Don Quixote. Sure. But it's it's almost this this battle of like are they baiting him or is he baiting them Mm. you know what i mean because like at a certain point in that dialogue which i'm i'm not finding again we'll have to rewind the the uh cassette (laughs) here and uh figure out where it ended up but um anyway um (laughs) you, you have these really long like don quixote talking about what he's gonna do and then people like you're not gonna do that you're insane and him being like okay but uh, it would be insane but i'm gonna do it this way and it's gonna be better Mm -hmm. and they're like no but well maybe you are though but would this be funny and he's like no it's not funny i'm very serious you know and it's just a lot of these passages what they remind me of is like film of radio comedians from like the 1930s and 40s Hmm. just two people standing at a microphone like trading banter back and forth (laughs) like warships in the 19th century just firing these things at each other um one of one of the the you know most often repeated um things there is the uh the where like don quixote gives sancho an order and Sancho like comes back with a proverb mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense and then follows it up with like seven more proverbs that don't make any sense mm-hmm. and then Don Quixote gets really mad at him mm-hmm. and then Sancho like and gives commands him... him to silence. Yes. And then <laughs> Sancho usually gives him a bunch more proverbs. Yeah. And then like 
occasionally this scene will go so far that Don Quixote starts doing Proverbs and then yep. Sancho will accuse him of doing Proverbs while trying to keep Sancho down. Like yep. that's, that exact scene occurs like seven times. It absolutely does. That is recurring volumes. throughout. Uh, it's, it, it, it's so silly um, that like, yeah, like you say, it almost feels like he knew this was what would sell because he just kind of does the same thing over and over again. But he builds on it. Yeah. And, like, returns to the same thematic funny business, but in more and more expansive ways. And it kind of yeah. comes to a head with the ducal theme. Yeah. Like, I, I would say that is absolutely the center of part two, is the, the ducal theme. The... Which I think I'm, I'm taking from Nabokov. Okay, so um, you're, you're talking about, like, when Don Quixote and Sancho are in the court of the Duke of yep. Duchess, who sort of sort of adopt them as pets yes like we're fans of the of the mm -hmm. first book used it to figure out don quixote and then just sort of adopt them right and then send send um sancho off to his island right quote unquote well and essentially here's here's how i read that whole sequence like there are several chapters where they're with the duke and duchess and e even including the time when sancho is sent off to his island um that's the Duke and Duchess writing their version of Don Quixote Part 2. Yeah. Which, they read Don Quixote Part 1, that's explicit, and so they yeah. want a Part 2, so that makes them simultaneously the readers and Avellaneda. Right. The fake author. Right. So, like, which also is such a modern idea when you think about fan fiction. Right. Like, that's that's exactly what the Duke and Duchess are doing. They're creating fan fiction. Right. Only they have the actual characters. Well, and in that, that like, self-reflexivity, too, mm -hmm. it's also very postmodern. Yeah. Like, this this is, you know, a sort of story structure you would not have been surprised to see out of, like, a French modern postmodernist writer from, mm -hmm. you know, in the 1960s or 1970s. Sure. Or, like, a... You know, it almost is like something out of a Thomas Pynchon novel, you know, the, um, just that world of the story existing within the world of the story existing within the world of the story. Right, right. The, the, those, those internal layers, which again is something that was so totally surprising to me coming to this, expecting this sort of like King Arthur and his court. Right story right where it's a knight on his adventures not realizing that those adventures are totally bogus right and it's just funny right just 100 percent funny <laughs> and like thinking about that too that like it, it makes me also laugh at all the people who take this seriously right that that like if if you're gonna think about don quixote's adventures seriously and imagine him as this this great knight uh chivalric hero right then like you're just like the duke and duchess <laughs> right you're creating your own image of don quixote and what right. you want him to be what you want him to do exactly like amayaneda did right and exactly like the rest of the public did for cervantes or whatever <laughs> right that like here you're just gonna make don quixote what you want him to be and so cervantes is gonna come in and kill him for you right <laughs> yeah yeah, that's interesting. Um, it was it, it was just reminding me too uh, what you were just saying of the end of chapter forty one, mm -hmm. um, and a lot has happened between the parts we've been talking about and this part. Uh, one of the things, and I do want to to uh, 
have recourse back to this later is the cave of Montesinos. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in chapter 41, we have uh, Sancho. Um, is it when Sancho and Don Quixote are uh, flying through the air? Oh, that one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they, and the, the women, like, have been cursed to have beards, and Don Quixote and Sancho have to fly yep. through the air. And then at the end of it, like, Sancho is, you know, describing being up in the air, and Don Quixote is the one calling him out. Yep. And the very last line of that chapter, in my version, um, he says, Sancho, since you want people to believe what you saw in the sky... I want you to believe what I saw in the case in the cave of Montesinos, which Sancho has been calling Don Quixote out for, mm-hmm. you know, be, basically being full of crap as far as what he saw down in that cave. So this is like this is Don Quixote accusing Sancho of writing his own version of reality and his own yep. fiction onto the world. Mm-hmm. Which is what Sancho has been accusing Don Quixote of doing with the Cave of Montesinos. And Not what... necessarily directly, but like, yeah, I don't know if that necessarily happened, but... Yeah. Well, and like, Sancho maybe <laughs> believes that Don Quixote believes that it happened right. that way. But he's almost trying to convince Don Quixote that it didn't. Yeah, yeah, and that's... Ugh, it's so... It, it's weird, like, uh, and and I don't know how much of the Cave of Montesinos that I actually picked up on, but I think that might have been intentional. Whereas it, it's so ambiguous, yeah, that like when it's talked about later on, it's it's talked about in such a way that you're totally confused about it and you don't yeah. necessarily know what happened. And it's a weird little passage, and I. I wasn't prepared for it the last time. Sure. And then it became sort of a big deal, and I read some other outside material about it. So I was, like, really paying attention to it this time, and it really is a weird little passage. Yeah. Like, it's much more... It's described much more sort of straightforwardly and believably than a lot of the other stuff Don Quixote experiences, but there's also a few things in it that just are like, well, no, this is just another one of his hallucinations or whatever. Right, which is kind of how it's set up. Like you're you just experience his hallucinations. You yeah. you're you're prepared for everything he encounters to be filtered through this lens of the fantastic and yeah. so you just automatically disbelieve it and think of right. it as a windmill. Right. You know, to go all the way back to part 1 and that right. whole scene. Right. But then yeah, like you say, it's it's written in an interesting where, way where it does seem a little more realistic, but also it can't be. <laughs> right. Um, so what do you think's going on there? Like, what do you think that's about? I don't know. I, I, I think, well, um, uh, if I distill it down all the way without investigating too much more into it, I think yeah. it's just Cervantes playing with the idea of fiction and reality. Okay. And where that line is in our minds okay and kind of again just making fun of the reader yeah but why did he choose to do it like there you know i don't know I mean? like why did he choose that passage to to play that game i don't know the the cave of montesinos like thinking of of other literature it reminds me a little bit of um 
uh, the Odyssey and going to the underworld and and yeah. visiting and seeing Tiresias and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's that. I guess that could be a parallel with some of the like chivalric fiction too. Sure. Probably mm-hmm. borrowed from those hero epics. Like yeah. I think there are passages supposedly in like Amadeus and sure. you know where he go, he does go to the underworld and like talk to the departed heroes. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the like and that, that bogus could be. Don Quixote version of that. Right. But also in in that it's written in such a way to sound a, a, at least just a little more authentic, a yeah. little more real. Yeah. Is is what's interesting and I don't know if I have an answer to that except just that Cervantes is trying to play with ambiguity. Sure. The only the only other um, thing we haven't mentioned that I have on that passage, uh, I I read somewhere that and it was just an article that I sort of stumbled upon a few years ago. But I read that that passage, um, and it's not the only one like it from literature of the time, but. It kind of mirrors an initiation ceremony into, like, a secret society. Oh, So, like, whatever the the 17th century Spanish equivalent of, like, the Freemasons. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there were were various secret societies running around in Europe at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the Rosicrucians were in, sort of, Germany. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if they had filtered down to Spain yet, but there were a lot of these sort of secret societies and this was also the period when the greek revival was hitting spain Mm. and um sort of that southern part of europe in a big way um there were certain greek works of fiction that were like from the ancient greek world but that were newly translated newly available in various editions so uh could be you know there were also groups trying to sort of resurrect the like greek mystery schools sure kind of thing sure um and so i've i've read that 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 passage like is almost reads like a description of um one of these initiations which mm-hmm. often were you know where the initiate would be sort of blindfolded dragged into a cave or somewhere underground which was mm-hmm. often sort of a a womb imagery a rebirth sure. imagery um, and then was like put through these trials, and the whole idea of these trials or or uh, initiation ceremonies was that the initiate had no idea what was rea- real versus what was fictional. Sure. Um, and they were often sort of supposed to simulate like a death and rebirth kind of thing. Yeah. And that ideally the initiate would legitimately think that they were about to die while still knowing that this was all part of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that actually dovetails with some of the things that you're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, is this uh, um, using some of that imagery to sort of create ambiguity or to, to mm-hmm. talk about ambiguity? I don't know. In an interesting way, it does kind of like connect with that idea of trying to be both. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and again, if this is, if you consider this, uh, volume two or this this work as a whole both volumes sort of a subversive work like mm-hmm. you know whether you could you could get sort of almost conspiratorial i guess in in trying to see sort of an underground secret society like resistance to mm-hmm. the inquisition but even if it's not that you know could it be sort of cervantes reaching out to other people in spain who maybe were not 
the most thrilled with the Inquisition and the right. like, totalitarianism of the government at the time. Mm-hmm. That's like I don't know what I think of of that that whole like secret society idea, but it is it's an interesting one. It's to, provocative, at yeah, the very least. That yeah, um, and and what's interesting about it, and what I I want to keep track of in my second read is that a lot of the cave of Montesinos comes up in the reactions to it later yeah. on. Yeah, it becomes and, such a almost a much bigger deal yeah. in the reactions than it does well, at the time. It, it it almost takes the place of the way uh, Don Quixote treats Dulcinea in part one. Yeah. Where if in part one, if you don't admit Dulcinea is the most beautiful woman in the world, he's going to fight you. Right. In part two, if you don't admit that his experiences in the cave of Montesinos are real and authentic, then he's going to fight you. Yeah, that's really, that's a really, I hadn't It, it becomes the essence of his, his knighthood, of yeah. his narrative as it stands. Yeah. And I, you know, when we get to the end of the book, and maybe we'll talk more about that later, where it, it you know, it, it ends moralistically um, with him kind of renouncing everything. Does he actually specifically renounce the cave of Montesinos, or has it kind of faded at that point to the point where nobody's talking about it? I don't remember him renouncing the cave of Montesinos because that's, and and I don't remember him doing it either. Um, I don't remember actually paying attention for that, but thinking, reflecting on it afterward, it seems like it's the sort of thing that if it were actually false, at this point he would specifically renounce it because yeah. he had so fiercely upheld it beforehand. Yeah. Um, I'm not finding it here on sort of a scan. Right. Uh. Though, and it's interesting, by the way, Sid, Sid Hemet Benengeli, mm-hmm. um, which is just a wonderful fake name, <laughs> um, but uh, what was I going to say about this? I'm still trying to find a reference to the cave up in here, and I'm not finding it. Um, it's interesting, you, you said it sort of ends moralistically. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, that, like, though he does renounce all these things, you could easily read that as him having been sort of badgered into sure. renouncing it, that, like, he realized he's dying, he realizes this is what all of the people in his life want and have been wanting, and maybe he just gives it to them because he wants to sort of leave on good terms. Sure. Uh, but... At the same time, when he renounces all of these these ex all of all of his knight errantry, that's when he dies. Yep. Like it's it's uh almost as if that's what his life was. Well, and there's a line in there, and I'm I'm not finding it specifically, but um that that's connected to that that others kind of think he might recover from his illness. Yeah. But then he renounces all these things and dies. Yeah. Yeah. And so he doesn't recover, even though people kind of expect him to. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. But it's 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 interesting if that's a, you know, if that's a parallel there, like maybe he's hanging on to the cave of Montesinos, mm. mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the cave of Montesinos is 
what kills him. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And there, the, like, this, this is kind of connecting to everything we've said so far about part two, but it, yeah. the ambiguity itself is cranked up to 11. Right. Where, you know, in part one, it's kind of, it, it's not kind of, it's absolutely clear what's true and what's false. Right. The whole time. Part two, you're not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of its own trick because if, if you step back just a step, and look at it, it's all false. Right. It's a fictional book. Right. Which part one really emphatically demonstrated. It's all right. fiction. It's all fake. Right. Everything Don Quixote experienced was fake. And even more than that, the book itself is fake. Right. Part two, what Don Quixote is experiencing is fake, except when it's not fake. Right. But really, it's actually all fake. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah to go extra meta <laughs> yeah yeah no it's uh nope i forgot what i was gonna say no it's all right i don't know how oh. much of that um I, I don't know how much of that was intentional for cervantes purposes uh-huh that that like i know he was being meta about it i don't know how meta he was intentionally being sure yeah um, and it's hard to say because there's certainly like it would be easy to undervalue um, how meta Cervantes can be. Like, mm -hmm. I definitely think I've read you know pretty smart critics who uh, just sort of have the the like historical prejudice to say no, Cervantes can't have meant this bit of layering. And sure, you know, sometimes Cervantes to me clearly did. Yep. Um, but in in avoiding that sort of prejudice it can be easy to sort of stumble into the other prejudice yeah. of uh you know giving him too much credit um yeah that's that's interesting on this topic i uh just sort of rediscovered a a note that i had made um regarding the sort of ongoing plot line and this is like i say i think folds into a lot of this nice nicely um of the idea that I think the Duke and the Duchess put in Don Quixote's head that if Sancho Panza flogs himself like 300 yes, times or 3, whatever, 000. or 3,000 times, that it has something to do with like D, like transforming Dulcinea back into her beautiful yep. self or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because that, well, based on Sancho's uh, deception that, you know, she was this wench. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Um,. And so, of course, that becomes, like, this through line. Like, it's, again, one of the, like, five or so comic bits that yep. Cervantes keeps going back to in this second volume is just, you know, Don Quixote being like, all right, Sancho, time to go off into the woods and kick yourself <laughs> yep. in the ass. Mm -hmm. And Sancho being like, okay, yeah, but maybe tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, uh... and there's that ongoing deception, but also even when Sancho does it, like, he maybe hits himself like twice and then like starts hitting a tree and and yelling or whatever like yep. which is a classic comedic bit that like yep. you'll still see in movies made in the last Absolutely. 10 years um but you know it's again that that like what how it's confusing between trying to sort of demarcate what of this would you call fiction mm -hmm. what of it would you call deception what if any of it would you call reality um mm -hmm. And also, again, with this reading, this, like, 
Spanish Inquisition counter-reformation yeah. reading uh you know is it sort of a sly commentary on people who like self-flagellate or self-punish for the sake of the... to prove their devotion yeah and... exactly yeah uh, and and thinking of it in those terms it's it's very interesting and, and I'm inclined to believe it that way yeah that it, it it does seem like just a funny little commentary on that it's funny on its own but then to think of it in in terms beyond it makes it even funnier right um, right yeah because it's a great it's it is a great like probably one of the funnier recurring bits in yep. this book just all mm -hmm. by itself yep just as pure comedy well and then that itself is resolved near the end of part two they right. they see the the duke and duchess again who are like who, who are who are desperately holding on to their version of don quixote yeah yeah and they need to resolve their version which kind of you know, we, we talked about the Duke and Duchess kind of being uh, of Aeneda here, but by them coming in, when they realize where Don Quixote is going, they kind of catch him, snatch him away, yeah. and make him theirs again. That makes them more like Cervantes. Right, right. Uh, like, no, I don't want that character to go that way. I need to stop this and take him where I need him to go. Right. Um, that... that you know where where they catch him and, and make him do one more heroic task right. uh, by raising this girl from the dead. Right. They make him just a spectator to this whole thing and and have Sancho. Sancho's is ultimately the butt of of that joke, right? As well as a lot of their jokes, right? Um, but yeah, with that, it's it's part of the self-flagellation there, where like she kind of the the girl who's feigning death. Right. Just kind of, it's described where she either gets bored or feels like a tickle in her nose, and she's like, "No, I need to wake up now." Right. right. <laughs> so that's how it stops. Right. It's just her own inclination that what she needs to do is what happens. Right. Which is interesting itself that like whatever any individual finds themselves doing or whatever state they find themselves in, that's what's going to define the Don Quixote. For that person right right yeah no that's that's interesting i don't know i just i just uh keep returning to this mental image that maybe cervantes was sort of slyly painting in the reader's mind of these very devoted you know mm -hmm. uh like jesuit types in the in the counter-reformation maybe going into a closet to flog themselves and maybe yep. like hitting the wall or their mattress mm -hmm. or whatever a bunch of times and kind of yelling and then yep you know maybe you hit the, you hit yourself one time to like make the right. stars show through good right. and then you go out and you all like compare war stories about self-flagellation and yep really you're just Sancho Panza hitting hitting a tree with a stick and yelling yep oh this hurt ow oh that was really bad ah. yeah delightful which and is a callback to volume one where you've got the 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 serving boy who is being beaten yeah out in the woods yeah 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 and like i i i can't help but think of that episode yeah. with the sancho panza stuff absolutely in part two where he's being called upon to whip himself several times right several thousand times right and you think about that that boy in part one who was being whipped and like that came outside of him and don quixote ostensibly saved him right but then he leaves 
And you find out that the boy is whipped even worse. Right. And it's almost a nice reversal. Yes. Is, is uh, you know, Don Quixote, to his own mind, doesn't cause the second one. Yep. Um, and, you know, Sancho Panza does seem to have gotten whipped. Or in the first, the first part, yep. the boy seems to have not gotten whipped. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, well, we uh, must cut off our discussion yeah. of deception and uh, ambiguity for the time being. I think we will return to this next episode because it seems like a deep, rich vein mm-hmm. sparkling with definitely real diamonds here in our cave of Montesinos. Absolutely. Uh, None of them is zirconium. Right, that's true, because you don't mine zirconium. Nope. You don't mine it either, I can enunciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening, uh, gentle listener, and as you're always, you're you're Michael, you're not the gentle listener. Oh. There are three people in this podcast, you're mm. one of them, and you got it wrong. Oh. Dang it. The only worst thing you could have done is, like, introduced yourself as me. I'm um, Ethan Bartlett, and until next time, I'm a poophead. Uh, thank you, gentle listener, <laughs> for ignoring the things that Michael says. I don't know what it is that's gotten into him, but he's a little sassy right now. What is it that's gotten into you, Michael? I don't know. You gave it to me. Did I? Yep, I blame you. What was it? I don't know. I'm was calling it, my lawyer. Was it an STD? <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, I do carry samples of those around in culture jars to dump on my enemies. Yep. Uh, anyway, gentle listener, now that we've put that horrifying series of mental images into your head, please read along. Give us your feedback. Use the contact section of tapestryradio.org. Uh, use at Room with Scotch on Twitter. Um, go to the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook or... Uh, just follow the public Tapestry Radio Network page, the Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch page. Um, mm-hmm. If you want your homework to be featured in our English homework specials, mm-hmm. special specials, special specials, special specials, they're very special specials, extremely special specials, these mm-hmm. special specials. Uh, if you want that to happen, uh, there's a form on our website at tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast. Fill it out. Tell us what your homework was. We will do it very badly. Yep. So even if you are inclined to plagiarize and risk the decades of prison time that that Mm -hmm. entails, Mm -hmm. don't do it because you will do so badly it won't have been worth the crime in the first place. You'll go to prison and get an F. Yep. And, you know, if there's one thing that's worse than going to prison, it's getting an F. Yep. Uh, If You might be killed or worse, expelled. Yep. If you like this podcast, in case you were wondering if both of us were teacher's pets our entire academic careers. (laughs) If you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the network, uh, like Intermission, our uh, uh, audio drama podcast, and Pokemon Rollout, our podcast where people play a game. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you. Uh, Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, or wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Addict, um, Smoke Signals, you name it. Uh, yeah. We don't do any paid advertisement, so that's how others can learn about us. Um, read my 
Yeah, I was wondering why the word eagle was randomly in that <laughs> script. Gentle listener, the script that I'm reading from did, did until just now say, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever eagle you get your podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway, check out my webcomic that I write and that Robin G, who is a very skilled artist, she draws it. Um, and it's great because she draws it. It's at <laughs> pinporterdetective.com. I did verify it before this episode. Seems Job. like something I could have done like two you episodes ago. You actually did some prep work I for did. this podcast. The bare minimum possible prep work. Good. Um, yeah, but Pin Porter Girl Detective. If you Google that, you'll come up with it. It's a, it's a good webcomic, I promise. Yeah. And until next time, gentle listener... It's our party, and we'll burn whatever books we want to. What's up, Doc? (laughs) Good, like, a theme in that episode. I'm pretty proud of us. How's that going for you? Did it. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.